We thank you, God, for this opportunity to gather in the name of Jesus, to gather as your people, to gather as your body. We ask that you'd speak to us tonight. I pray that we would be open to receive what you want to say. I pray that you would anoint your word tonight and that there would be understanding, that we would be able to really hear you and really understand what you have for us to really take in what you want to teach us tonight. And so, God, I pray that we would have just our ears open and our hearts open to what you want to say to us as individuals, what you want to say to us as a group. But I ask you, God, that we would hear you and that we would take in what you're saying. So anoint. Pray, God, you empower. I ask, God, that you'd be glorified in this time. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We received a speak pipe over the last couple weeks that we haven't been here. And so I want to take a few moments and play that. This is speak pipe. Uh, comes to us from Thailand. And uh, so we can hear what they have to say to us. Hey, it's Kaylin, and we are at Kinship, and it is the Thai New Year, Songkran holiday, so we just wanted to say Happy Thai New Year. Hi, Carmen here. Maligayang bagong taon, Thailand. I'm Rosa. Happy New Year, lad. Hi, Mr. Jordan. Maligayang taon in Thailand. Hello, I'm Jordan. My happy New Year in Thailand. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? Send us a message for Monday Night Bible Study. You go to a website, 
at www.speakpipe.com slash all one word Monday Night Bible Study. And you see a little button to toggle there. It's like leaving a voicemail. Toggle the button and record your message. If you mess it up, you can start over again. It gives you plenty of options. Uh, and you can leave us a message. It could be a question. It could be a comment. It could be just saying hi or Happy New Year or whatever you want to say. But we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we receive the statistics every month about uh, who's listening and where. And there's plenty of people listening uh, all around the world. And so please... Uh, visit SpeakPipe, let us know. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, and we look forward to hearing from whoever wants to send us something. Kaylin, we look forward to seeing you soon. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Matthew, chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, I need a volunteer to read verses 17 and 18. Alright, thanks for reading that. Uh, this is Jesus speaking. Uh, he's bringing clarity to uh, what would appear to be, from the context of what he's saying there, a point of misunderstanding. Uh, there were people that were misunderstanding some of the things that he was saying, some of the things he was doing. They were misunderstanding some of his intentions and actions. And so he wanted to bring clarity to what people were beginning to think. And they they probably were beginning to think certain things for various reasons. In other words, uh, they were hearing some of the teachings that he was bringing out, and uh, and he was talking about grace. He was talking about forgiveness. He was calling people to repentance, but he was also speaking forgiveness over them. And so, when people begin to speak in terms of big grace and big forgiveness and big love like that, there's always those that hear that. And they want to take that to the opposite extreme. So in other words, uh, kind of like we've talked about in the past, when you talk about how we understand the world and how we see the world, it's, uh, you can't see the world in polar opposites because that's not really how the world is. That things don't exist like that. Uh, and, and I always use the same examples because they're so obvious, and yet I still hear people say things like that. Because if I say, if something's not hot, it's... You're going to say cold, but it may not be cold. It might be lukewarm. It might be, you know, kind of cool or chilly or something, but it may not be cold. But the world doesn't exist in those polar extremes. So if it's not black, it's not necessarily white because it could be any color. It could be red or yellow or purple or, or whatever. It could be green. It doesn't have to be white. And so... We look at our world and, and we're taught certain ways of seeing the world and it's simpler to see things that way. It's just not the way it is. And, and so, but, but that's been a natural human tendency. It, it, it helps us and people, it helps people to bring order to their world. In other words, they, they think in those kind of simple terms. It's not black, it's white. 
It's not hot, it's cold. It's not high, it's low. It's not new, it's old. And, and so they, it, 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 it helps people in their minds to simplify their world and to bring order to it. It's just not true. And it's a, it's a very juvenile, very immature way of seeing the world. And so when Jesus is speaking and he talks about forgiveness and love and, and all of that, that doesn't negate the fact that he was calling people to repentance. The fact that he's proclaiming forgiveness over people doesn't mean that they're not you know, held accountable for their actions. Just because he speaks of grace over people doesn't mean that there's absolutely no standard over their lives. So people heard things that he was saying, and instead of just hearing what he had to say, and instead of really taking it into the context of how he was presenting what he was saying, what they did was they took what he said and they went to the exact opposite extreme. Well, this guy is lawless. This guy believes in anarchy. This guy believes in no standards. But that's not what he was saying. And so he, he wanted to, to bring up a point here, and it was a point of obvious misunderstanding. He said, I, I want to be clear. This is what I have to say about this. And so what follows after that is his statement on what he had to say about it. And so he makes a very clear statement. He says, I'm not here to abolish the law. Now, the word abolish, you can read that any way you want. Uh, abrogate, destroy, you know, annul, um, repeal, deny authority to. And he's mainly speaking in this passage of what we would term the moral law. He's not necessarily talking about uh, the ceremonial law. Because if you read through Leviticus, I'm just getting done with Leviticus right now in my Bible readings, um, with this time through, the, the first five books. And, and as I'm reading through it, it I'm just reminded of, that there's a lot of law in there that's, that has to do with morals, it has to do with the way we treat one another, it has to do with the way we, we look at God and the way we interact with God. But then there's a whole bunch of law that has to do with you know, how many toes an animal has or if it has fins or not and whether you can eat it and stuff. And so there's plenty of law. There's dietary law and ceremonial law and the way things are done, the prescribed way and all of this. But then there's the interactive law of how we're going to treat one another, how we're going to treat God. And so when Jesus is speaking here about the law, and, and, and we have to kind of train ourselves to understand this, He's speaking about the moral law. In other words, that when they asked him, they said, well, what are the two greatest commandments? And he answered their question. He was speaking to them from that portion of the law. Like the two greatest commandments had to do with loving God and loving each other. If you remember the passage, that was his answer. Well, yeah, that, that's the interactive understanding of that's what he's referring to even here. Uh, you know, the two greatest commandments weren't, uh, you know, don't eat pork and make sure the hem of your garment isn't too short or something. That wasn't what, it, you know, those weren't the two greatest laws, all right? You follow what I'm saying? Does this make sense? Okay, the reason this is important is because we need to look at this in that context, through that lens, to understand not only what Jesus is saying here, but then what's being said later on in the epistles. 
because Paul had some stuff to say about this, and Peter had some stuff to say about this, and the Apostle John had things to say about this. And what they were referring to, and you have to learn to figure out what they're referring to, wasn't love God, love each other. When they were saying that these things are you know, no longer in effect, it's not love God, love each other. That is in effect, okay? What's not in effect are some of the other things that people were so hung up on with the ceremonial law and some of the things that people got stuck with. And so, understanding this in context, understanding what they're saying here, what they're speaking of is the whole part of the law that talks about love God, love each other, and how we do that, how that manifests, how loving God and loving each other actually manifests in our lives. And so, to, to understand what Jesus is saying here, He didn't come to abolish... Well, he didn't come to abolish loving God and loving each other, did he? He didn't abrogate. He didn't come to abrogate. He didn't come to destroy loving God and loving each other. He didn't come to annul love God and love each other. He didn't come to repeal love God and love each other. He didn't come to deny authority to love God and love each other. That wasn't what he did. That wasn't what he was doing. All right? And that should be obvious to us. That's why it's important to understand that that's what he's talking about. When he speaks of the law and he speaks of the prophets, He's speaking of that. He's speaking of what that actually looks like, how that's manifest in our lives, what that is going to look like as we move forward together. And so Jesus came not to abolish love God and love each other, but he came to achieve those purposes. In other words, the purposes of the law and the prophets is that we love God and love each other. That's the purposes of it. That's why those are the greatest commandments. Is that the purpose that God laid down, the purpose that was laid down from the beginning, the purpose that was intended, the purpose that was laid out by the finger of God for us as His people, is that we learn to love God and love each other. Those are His purposes. So, as Jesus came to achieve the purposes of the law and the prophecy came to fill up what was lacking in there. In other words, he fleshed it out. So these weren't necessarily just words on a page anymore. This is what it looks like. You see it in the life of Jesus. This is what the law and the prophets literally looks like that he was filling up the cracks. He was filling up what was lacking in that. And he was planting the germs of truth in us. That's what he's doing. So he didn't come to destroy love God, love each other. He came to actually achieve it and show us what it looks like. He came to actually plant the germs of that truth into us that would take what had been up to that point a bunch of rules and apply them into our heart, into our spirit, in principle form. In other words, this is what this is going to look like when it's actually lived out in the flesh. When people actually do this. And so you see that in the life of Jesus. I mean, you see it in His teaching. You see the principles that He laid out in the Sermon on the Mount. You see the principles that He's laying out as He's speaking to people, as He's teaching people, as He's leaving His Word with people, as He's pouring His Word into His apostles, His disciples. He's planting those seeds so that they begin to grow 
and we begin to see this is God's intent. This is what God had meant from the very beginning. This is actually what it looks like. This is it. And so as far as the ceremonial law, what was I talking about with that? Like what you're wearing, you know, what your beard looks like, what your hair looks like, that kind of stuff, what you're eating, how you go about it, you bring two pigeons or one, you bring the bull to this one, or you bring the goat. Well, no, okay? Do you need a goat and a bull? Do you need the full bull or just a shank? What are you looking for here? All right, is there a grain offering involved with this? Do you pour the oil on the grain offering? Is that before or after? Now, is that the part you eat, or do you leave that behind? Does the priest eat that? I don't know. you got to boil that first, or just throw it on the fire? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And if you've ever read through those books, you know exactly what I'm saying. Because it's all in there, right? All right, somebody look at Colossians 2.14. Colossians 2.14. All right, so when we begin to talk about the ceremonial law that nobody could keep anyway, okay? No, they just couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Nobody can do it, all right? And so that's the part he nailed to the tree. He nailed that to the cross. That's what he nailed to the cross. Now, you understand, as I was saying this earlier, it's important to draw this distinction. He didn't nail love God, love each other to the cross. You get it? You get it? Our responsibilities one to another, our responsibilities to God, the way we're going to live, the way we're going to love, the way we're going to serve one another, that's all, that's all good. That's all right. He came to fill that up in us. He came to fill in the empty spaces and to fill in the cracks and to answer the questions and to empower us and to plant that seed into us. All right? That's what He came to do. He didn't nail that to the cross. What he nailed to the cross was this other part of it that no one could keep, that no one could ever do. And so the Bible talks about, when it talks about in different places, and we can look at different places where it says this, where it talks about him nullifying, or it talks about him nailing things to the cross. He's not talking about loving him and loving each other. He's talking about these ceremonial things that pointed to him. He's talking about the stuff that had pointed to him that he literally fulfilled by getting born. Okay? The, the lamb that was sacrificed, that's him. The wave offering, that's him. Okay? The two turtle doves, that's him. All of those things that were pointed to through all of those ceremonies and all of that that was, that was given to the people of Israel. And that's how they were going to worship and that's how they were going to get things going and get things done. And that's how they were going to express themselves. All those things were fulfilled even through His birth. They're fulfilled literally in Him. Done. So those are nailed to the cross. So anything that needed to happen with the ceremonial law, with the goat or the lamb or with the ox or with the shank or with the wave offering or with whatever it was, all of that was taken care of through the person, through the life, and through the death 
of Jesus. No other sacrifice would ever need to be made. No other ceremony would ever have to be done with in order to bring forgiveness. It would not have to happen anymore. No scapegoat. You'd never have to lay hands on a scapegoat again. Jesus fulfilled all of that. You'd never have to sacrifice a lamb again. Jesus fulfilled that. He was literally nailed to the cross. All of that ceremony that pointed to Him, all that ceremony that pointed to who He was and what He was doing was nailed to the cross and is done. That part's done. We're still loving God and loving each other though. Alright? And I hope you're following what I'm saying. I prayed for clarity tonight. I prayed for understanding tonight. That I'd be able to express this in such a way that people could understand what I was trying to say. Because I want you to hear me talking double talk or anything. I'm not talking any double talk. I'm talking about different things, different aspects, okay? And so we got this one aspect nailed to the cross. We got this other aspect. Jesus is perfect. He's the great example of it. And we're still called into this. All right? We're going to love God. We're going to love each other. So the Pharisees, what had happened was, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were accusing Jesus of trying to, to nullify the law. But see, they had nullified the law. That was the problem. That's why Jesus had something to say about it. See, they didn't nullify the law in a couple of different ways. And in the way they did that, they took stuff that was important, they made it not important. They took other stuff that wasn't important, they made that really important. There's stuff they didn't want to do, so they made a little rule about it. They didn't have to do it anymore. Other stuff they didn't want to do, they said, well, you know, we're going to replace that with some kind of ceremony and then everything will be okay. You know, even right down to there was an example that Jesus addressed directly with them. He talked about how you don't even take care of your parents. Isn't that part of loving each other? Loving God, loving each other, you take care of your parents? And so you're not even taking care of your parents. Because what they had done was they said, well, whatever you would have given to take care of your parents, you know, you consider that, you give that, to, you've already given that to God, so you don't have to do that anymore. And so they nullified actually caring for the people around you. They actually nullified, you know, actually caring about your parents or, or taking care of people that need your care. They nullified that. How? Through their ceremony, through their double talks, through what they were doing. And so they had already nullified whole portions of love God, love each other. But they had majored on, make sure you take a tenth of even the smallest little seeds that you buy at the market and that goes over to the temple. You've got to make sure you do that. But take care of your parents? I oh, don't worry about that. We took care of that. Yeah, messed up. It was backwards. And so Jesus was trying to say, you got it backwards. All right? The parts you care about, I don't care about. The parts I care about, you don't care about. And so we got this problem going on where you think that I'm trying to mess up your thing and I know you've already messed up God's thing. Okay, that's the conversation that's going on right there. So if you if you hear that, that is the conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes at this point. That's what he's talking about. So, so the righteousness of Christ, and this is something that we need to. I think I'm just going to say it again. I, everybody knows this that's been a Christian for a little while, but I'm going to say it anyhow. The righteousness of Christ is imputed only through faith. In other words, our only claim to righteousness in our lives is through Jesus and our faith in Him. We have no other claim. 
We're, we're not nice enough. We're not good enough. We're not friendly enough. Uh, we're not polite enough. It, it, we can't. We don't have any other claim to righteousness except for our faith in Jesus. That is it. That's it. And, and that is how the design is completed. So I said Jesus came to fill in the cracks, right? Jesus came to, to kind of pour into what was lacking. Well, that's how that design is completed is through our faith in Him. And so righteousness, righteousness comes through Him. We, we have any claim to right? No. Any claim to righteousness apart from Christ is pride and deception. And people are heavily deceived. But any claim to righteousness apart from Christ is deception and a lie. That's it. And so you catch yourself thinking that way. You're lying. You're deceived. I'm sorry. You want to be righteous? I understand that. Well, your righteousness is going to come through your faith in Jesus, and that's it. That's the way that He designed it. That's the master plan. And so it's our faith in Christ. That's it. And alone. Faith alone. As Martin Luther said, faith alone. So, the law, as Jesus is speaking here, would only pass away when the purposes of the law were achieved. So what were the purposes of the law? What did I say? Number one, love God, love each other. Somebody look in Matthew 22 and 40. 20, chapter 22 and verse 40. Go ahead. Now, why was it important he brought that up? Why was it important he brought that up? Because he just answered their question. What was, his, what was their question? Two greatest commandments. What did he say? Love God, love each other, and on these commandments hang all of the law, all of the law and the prophets. The whole moral law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. Why did he ask the question about David? Why do you think that was important? Anybody? What was he establishing there? Huh? Yeah. So in other words, they, they revered David, right? They looked at David. He was like a hero from their past. He was the stuff of legend. I mean, that's David. He was like the King Arthur, right? Probably you dorks out there. He was like the King Arthur. You know, the, the stuff that legends are made of. That was David. And what was he saying by this? He was saying, you, proving from the Scriptures, he was saying that there would be one that would come after David that would be greater than him. And he was suggesting, not suggesting, he was telling them that it would be, and it was, him. And so he was establishing the authority to be able to speak into this. 
He was establishing the authority to be able to say to them that all of the law and all of the prophets hang on these two things. You love God and you love each other. Period. That's his authority to say that. And he was telling them that was his authority to say that. And what he was trying to reestablish with them, what he was reestablishing with them, was this idea, you cannot nullify what God has said by making up stuff. You can't nullify what God has said by making sure you count out every last little piece of dill in order to make sure you're tithing on the dill you bought at the market. That doesn't, that doesn't make up for hating your brother. Doesn't, that doesn't make up for hating your neighbor. That doesn't make up for hating God. By doing whatever it was that they were going to do and whatever it was that they were going to, they were going to say. Because if you think about it, they kept lowering lowering God's standards to the level of their behavior. That's what they were doing. They just kept lowering the standard. Well, what can we do? We can count dill. We're good at that. Alright? So we're going to count dill and we're going to make sure we got a tenth of all the dill and we're going to make that super important. But all this part about loving other people, we're no good at that. We're kind of mean in the heart. We're kind of hard in the heart. We don't really like other people. Other people suck. So, we're going to make dill really important. Other people, eh, optional. We'll make that optional. Alright? And so that became the norm. And I'm exaggerating, of course. You hear me exaggerating, right? But, but that became the norm. The norm was, we'll pick stuff we can do, we'll major on that. In other words, that'll be really important, but we're going to pick stuff we ain't so good at, and we're going to lessen that. The problem was, is that the stuff they weren't so good at, stuff that really mattered. And that's what Jesus was trying to say. He said, hey, I got the authority to tell you this. You need to listen up. This is what really matters. You're terrible at this. This other stuff that you're really good at doesn't matter. Forget that. Major on this. You need to love God. You need to love each other. So he was establishing his authority to say that. And to, and to expect that from them. Because they had no expectation to give a rip about it. Because in their minds, they had already decided what they thought was important and left behind the stuff that they didn't think was important. You start thinking about the way most people see Christianity out there, wherever out there is. It might have been in your family. It could have been your neighbor. It could have been whoever. But the way most people see Christianity, people will major on stuff that doesn't matter, okay? And they will neglect the things that do. And whether that's out of ignorance, or that's just out of people trying to make themselves feel better, or whatever the case may be, I don't know. All I'm trying to say is, is that popular opinion is not the means by which we decide and we find out what's important to God and what's not. Popular opinion does not tell us what God values. Popular opinion does not tell us what really matters in the economy of the kingdom of God. Popular opinion does not tell us how we, we find our place and we find our relationship with God. Does not do that. Okay, that's not what determines that. God determines that. And we need to allow Him to speak to that. 
We need to look at Jesus. What matters to Jesus? You know, what mattered to Him when He was walking the earth? What mattered to Him with His disciples? Stuff that drove the Pharisees crazy. He just didn't care about. What they confront Him on? Why don't your disciples wash their hands? Well, because there's a whole ceremony to washing your hands. And you washed your hands a certain way, and then once you were done washing your hands, then you could eat. Well, that was a ceremonial law, that was a ceremonial ritual that they had put in. Why? Because they could do that. They could do it. I can wash my hands, so we'll just wash our hands. Oh, okay, we can do that. You take care of your mom and dad? No, but I can wash my hands. And so they're looking at them and they're saying, all right, well, your disciples don't wash their hands right. Well, yeah. Yeah, because it doesn't matter. It's not important. Oh, I see your disciples are out there plucking uh, grain on the Sabbath day. Jesus is like, yeah, because they're hungry. Well, see, the Pharisees had plenty of means. They had plenty of food. Did they have to go out and pluck grain on the Sabbath day? No. Right. They could do that. See, they're good at that, not plucking grain on the Sabbath day. The disciples weren't so good at that because they were hungry on the Sabbath day. And they went out and they plucked some grain. Jesus care about that? No, because it doesn't matter. Jesus care about whether or not they wash their hands in the ceremonial way? No, because it doesn't matter. And most of the stuff that he was confronted on, it, it, it didn't matter. It was just stuff they could do. And because it was stuff they could do, they decided to make that super important. It just didn't matter to God. It didn't matter to Jesus. And so be careful. Just be careful about what you allow to remain in you. Alright, because if you, if you grew up around people like that or in certain situations like that, you'd be surprised what stuff is still stuck in your brain about stuff like that. And I'm, I'm literally things that don't matter. Those of you that have done the internship, one of my specialties is finding little things like that in you. And just ripping them apart. Like displaying them in front of you to drive you crazy. Whatever it is. And it could be anything. It could be language, right? Right? It could be behavior. Uh, it could be lots of stuff. But those things in us that have risen to the, the place of actually stuff that God cares about when He doesn't need to be confronted and dealt with in our lives. This have to be. They have to be. Because otherwise, we are wasting time and effort and we are alienating people that don't need to be alienated because we are majoring on the wrong things. We're majoring on the stuff that really, 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 really doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And we need to let it go. Let it go. We don't need to carry that. We don't need to burden other people with that. We don't need to live under that. Why would we make somebody else a disciple of that kind of nonsense too? Right? But as we get free and we allow ourselves to be free, we begin to speak and minister that freedom to the people around us too. That liberty. 
Yeah. Yeah. Somebody look at uh, Romans thirteen eight. Romans thirteen eight. What? What? What kind of nonsense is that? No, you tell them that, they go nuts. They'll just love each other, and they'll think they're fulfilling the law. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I told this story lots of times. I, I, was doing teaching. I used to do this teaching and drive old-timers crazy. Where I talk about how Jesus was teaching. It was just his teaching. It's like, you know, it's not what goes into a man that defiles a man. It's what comes out of him. You know that one? You heard that one before, right? You don't say that in front of old timers. Oh, because they, they, there used to be this saying that they borrowed from bad computing. Okay? This is back when computers were, like, newer. And so people would use this little saying, you know, for the Christian life. They'd say, you know, the Geigo principle. You might have heard this. Garbage in, garbage out. Yeah, that's not really that's not really Bible though. That's bad computing. But that's not really Bible. Because the issue is is that it's not what goes into you that defiles you, it's what comes out of you. That's the real issue. It's what's coming out of you. And and you know, so you read through that whole section of scripture when Jesus is teaching on that and the whole idea of if you wash the inside of the pot, the outside gets clean too. You know, really majoring on what's in you and, and, and seeing what's in you change because that's what's really going to matter. That the, the, what's defiling you is in there, in here. All right? It's not necessarily things that you see or hear or whatever that they used to tell you all the time. That's what it was. That's what it was. But Jesus was really clear about this. Like it's what comes out of here. That's where defilement is. Alright. So the old timers, they'd hear me say things like that and they'd be like, you boy, you better be careful with that. Yeah. I'm careful with the words of Jesus. I wonder if there was an old timer telling Jesus he'd better be careful with that when he was teaching it. And I often wondered that. Because if I, if I could count the number of times that people say, well, you better be careful with that. Because even when I was just saying that, some of you were uncomfortable with what I was saying right then. Alright? That tells you there's still something in you that's weirded out. Alright? And maybe you'd have been the old timer telling Jesus, well, Jesus, you'd better be careful of that. All that talk. People are going to go crazy. They don't know nuts. People aren't going to go nuts. People aren't going to go crazy. But it might really be put in a spot where we might actually change. There's something in us might change and we might change for real not just on some outside weird thing that we can pretend to be something we're not but maybe something really on the inside of us will actually change somebody look at Galatians 5.14 so love each other you fulfill the law that way wow cool 
All right, Galatians 5.14. What? What kind of gibberish is that? Gibberish! Gibberish! No, it's the truth. That's the truth. Alright? Romans 13.8 is the truth. Galatians 5.14 is the truth. Matthew 22.39 is the truth. It's the truth. So where's all this other stuff come from? I don't know. Ask the scribes and Pharisees. Why don't you ask them? Because that other teaching, that other stuff is direct teaching from them. And they were fighting with Jesus most of the time. Keep that in mind. That's like people that read Job and, and teach out of what his friends are saying. That's just dumb. Alright? Job's friends were wrong. Don't teach out of what they were saying. Don't even listen to it. Right? Yeah, you start teaching out of the friends of Job. I mean, they got rebuked at the end of that. They were absolutely wrong about it. You don't want to be teaching from those guys. Like the scribes and the Pharisees. You don't want to be teaching off the scribes and Pharisees. And I've had people tell me, it's like, because I come on strong about it, and people say, well, you know, they did have some good things to say. No, they didn't! No! No, 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 they did not! Let it go. Just let it go. Let Jesus show you a more excellent way than that. Please. Please. All right, all right, all right. So we got all those. You're already messed up. You're already mad. All right, now Romans 8, 4. Somebody. So how is it going to be fully met in us? How? We live according to the Spirit. Alright, so what's being described there is an ideal picture of the life of the society Jesus came to found. That's what it looks like. It's a bunch of people loving God, loving each other, living by the Spirit. That's the end. That's what it is. That's what that's what the kingdom looks like. That's what it looks like. That's what it is. A bunch of people loving God, loving each other, and living by the Spirit. That's it. The end. And I know we, we oh you expect people just to live like that? Yeah. Yep. You, you expect that's just gonna happen? No. No, it's going to have its ups and downs. It's going to be messy. It's going to it's going to be frustrating sometimes. It's it's going to look bad sometimes. It'll look good other times. But nah, it's not going to be easy. It just is what it is. It just is what it is. That's the guy. That's how, how God laid it out for us. And so I don't have a better plan than that. I can't come up with anything better than that. I don't. I don't have better idea. 
I can't come up with a, a, a better solution. All right, that's just the way God laid it out. So either I'm going to say, all right, well, this is how God says done. This is what He said we're going to do, and let's do it. Or I'm going to what? Trump God? Outsmart Him? Come up with a better idea? You going to come up with a better idea? We're going to come right out of the playbook of the scribes and Pharisees? Is that what we're going to do? I hope not. I hope not. And I'll tell you something from my perspective, from where I'm coming from, sitting over here, this is a constant struggle, constant struggle for me and people in leadership to keep people from being good little scribes and Pharisees. Constantly. Constantly challenging ideas. Constantly just 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 challenging ways of seeing things. Constantly drawing people back toward that life in Christ. Drawing people back toward the life in the Spirit. Constantly. Constantly. If you take your hand off the wheel, uh, you know, for just a little while, what you're gonna do? You come back, oh, we got all these nice little rules and regulations now we can follow. It's so much easier. Yeah, you just figure out things you could do and you're doing those so you don't have to actually love each other and love God. I get it. It's just not what we're called to. You know, we sit there counting dill. That ain't getting the job done. That's not getting the job done. And so the ideal picture is that walking after and living after the Spirit... That's the life of the society that Jesus came to found. That's the life of the kingdom. It's really what it is. It is the raising of our lives. The raising of our lives to God. Instead of the lowering of what God has for us down to our level of our behavior. We actually, we actually rise up to Him. And that's what it's supposed to look like. You go back to Matthew 5, where we started. Matthew 5, we started in verses 17 and 18. I'd like to ask for a volunteer to read verse 19 and 20 of Matthew 5. So, the kingdom of God, if you can read through that with me, the kingdom of God fulfills the law. The rule and reign of God fulfills the law. Okay? And that's the society that Jesus has founded. That's what we're part of. And so, we are not trying to make something up. We're not trying to make ourselves feel better. We're not trying to make other people feel better. We're not trying to come up with an easier plan. We're not trying to come up with something that, you know, we can, you know, do on a Saturday afternoon and our, our, it's fulfilled. 
We're actually just trying to do what Jesus told us. And that's to love God and love each other. And that is the fulfillment. That is the fulfillment of the law. And it's in the relationship that we have through Him with each other, that kingdom relationship, that societal relationship that He's called us into, it's in that context where all of those things are going to happen. When I was starting the church, I read a bunch of books. And probably the most important ones that I read had to do with I don't even know one of them wasn't even a Christian book. But it had to do with how people relate to one another in society. In a society. There was a, a book that Augustine wrote a long time ago called The City of God. And that was one of the books I read before I started the church. And then there was a, a secular book. It was a, a sociology book that was written that I'm trying to think the secular the secular city I think it's the name of it and and it was the meshing of those two books that really spoke to me about how we interact uh, in a lot of ways and I'm not recommending either one uh, to read they weren't exactly like page turners or anything but they they speak to us as how we react to one another as individuals, but also in kind of a, a sociological perspective and why that's important. And, and I think that as we're called to live in communion, we're called to live in this society that Jesus has founded, that we need to get a hold of the fact that we have a dependence and we have a connection one with another. And we need to take that seriously. Because it's a dependence and a connection that's going to exist for all of eternity. It's not just for a year or two, or five years, or ten years, or twenty years, or fifty years, but it's an eternal relationship. It's an eternal connection. And so we have this opportunity right here and right now to learn how to love one another, and to serve one another, and to take care of one another. Because that's the stuff that's going to matter. There's a lot of things that don't matter. A whole lot of things that don't matter. We think they do. They seem really important right this second. But in the big scheme of things, they don't matter. And they will fade into history over time. But when you're around the same people for all of eternity, like we will be, nothing fades. You follow what I'm saying? Our relationships and the time we spend and the amount that we pour into one another, that doesn't fade because we're going to know one another forever. So it's good to invest. And it's good to see relationships as that important because it's what we've got. It's what we've got. You... You read studies on people and mental health, and, and you can find studies talk about it. mental health has a lot more to do with your relationships with people than it does with how much money you make, how much power you have, or how many possessions you have. All right? It has a lot more to do with 
how you're relating to the people that are around you. All right? And so it's a worthy investment. It's a worthy investment now, and it's a worthy investment for all of eternity. And so let's get about the business of the kingdom. Let's love each other. Let's love God. That's what we're called to. That's what we're empowered to do. We've been set loose by Jesus to to take care of that and to really major on the stuff that actually, really, truly matters. Let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You that You love us and that You've demonstrated everything I was talking about tonight. You have demonstrated what it looks like to love each other. You've demonstrated what it looks like to love the Father. You've demonstrated what love looks like. Greater love has no one than this that He laid down His life for His friends. Well, yeah. We've seen greatest love through You. You you demonstrated what it looked like to love people on a daily basis. And You demonstrated what really matters. And You pointed out things that really didn't matter. I pray, God, that we could learn that. I mean, really learn it. Take it to heart. Really let it be a part of us. I pray, God, that tonight we begin to shed more of stuff that doesn't matter. Begin to shed more of the lies that we were fed. More of the things that get in the way. More of the things that stand in between us and you. Stand in between us and each other. Stand in between us and our relationship with the Father. Pray we can shed those things, God. No matter how pious they sound or religious or spiritual they may sound, I pray we can shed stuff that really, really, really just doesn't matter. Even things that make us feel good. That we could shed the stuff that's standing in the way. So tonight, I, I thank you for your love for us. I pray that love in us, through us. I pray, God, we'd love you more. I pray we love each other more. I ask you tonight that there be a people that would grow in the things that really matter, that would grow in the society that you founded, to grow in the kingdom. And I thank you, Lord, as through that you're fulfilling your purposes now and for all eternity. We thank you for the privilege of being a part of that. Give you honor tonight. We give you praise. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. You know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool. You mm-hmm. know, he's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the community that. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University... UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You're home, yeah.